Hello, everyone, and welcome to uh, episode number 13 of the Nitromania podcast. Um, before we begin, uh, just before I sat down to record this this week, I did uh, learn of the passing of the great Bobby the Brain Heenan. Um, and so, personally, I just wanted to send my condolences out to the friends and family of the Brain. Uh, he was an absolute legend in his own time in the wrestling business. He will be missed by many. And, um, yeah, I mean, words just can't say how, how devastating a loss that this is to the wrestling community. So we're going to have, uh, just a quick moment of silence here before we begin, uh, in memory of, uh, of Bobby, the brain Heenan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to spooky episode number 13 of the Nitro Mania podcast, the show where I torture myself by watching Monday Nitro solely for your amusement. My name is Adam. I'm your host. And as evidence that this show is completely eating away at my mental faculties, I present to you last week's episode, episode number 12, where I very clearly stated that Macho Man versus Meng was a rematch from Halloween Havoc when it very obviously was not, as it was uh, Zodiac that Macho Man beat in 90 seconds at Havoc, and Luger beat Meng after the sissiest kick the world has ever seen. So, my bad, y'all. Last week on Nitro, the Hogan of the Opera challenged Sting to a match, which Sting did accept. Um, I honestly don't remember all that much else. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, it is Monday, November 20th, 1995, and we are coming to you live. That's right. We are live again from another undisclosed location. Mongo is wearing a denim cowboy shirt with cow print accents, and Pepe is wearing a cow outfit. I hate everything. We're told that tonight is the Super Bowl of Wrestling because it's Hogan versus Sting. Heenan says he'll be rooting for Sting tonight only because he wants Sting to destroy Hogan, and then he hopes that Sting gets hurt after the match as well. Your opening contest this evening is something that Dave Penzer calls a, quote, special rematch, unquote. Call me crazy, but I don't think this is going to be that special. Penzer introduces the first participant as Scott Flash Norton, and Eric tells us why he's now called Flash. Scott Flash Norton, and he got that name from his career as a professional arm wrestler. This guy would flash you. I'm sorry, Eric. He'd, he'd what? This guy would flash you. Oh, I guess that kind of explains the low-cut singlet, doesn't it? Shark attacks Norton in the aisle. <laughs> Shark attack. During his entrance, and the crowd boos. Norton wins after a mercifully short match with kind of a power slam, I guess. They shove each other around a couple times after the match, and that's it. There's really nothing to see here. It was two huge guys bumping into each other a lot, basically. Nothing much. Uh, we're promised Flair versus Guerrero when we come back from break. Uh, when we come back from break, Mean Gene... Pull up your socks and get ready. ...is on the ramp with Kevin Sullivan and Jimmy Hart. Jimmy tells Sting that tonight is his night to beat Hogan. 
Hart yells about Thunder in Paradise and Baywatch while Sullivan rolls his eyes into the back of his head. Sullivan then reminds us again that the giant is going to win World War III. Back at the desk, Bischoff reminds us that when Savage debuted, he stated he wanted to win the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. How much can Hogan trust Savage, he wonders aloud. Heenan says Hogan has no one and no friends he can trust. Mongo then tells us that his feet stink. That that actually happened. Disco Inferno is back to interrupting entrances. Disco tries to sell us a CD until Eddie Guerrero's music starts. This match should be really good. Flair enters in street clothes alongside Brian Pillman, who appears to be taking his place in this match. Flair takes the mic and tells us that somewhere there's been a mistake. Why? Why would anyone think that he would wrestle the likes of Eddie Guerrero? He is focused on Sting, and so he is going to allow the great flying Brian Pillman, his words, the privilege of pounding Guerrero into the mat. Flair promises to hold the jet for Brian while he takes care of business. We open this match with a new segment on the show. Is it racist? Pillman starts things off by waving his red jacket at Guerrero as though he were a Toreador and Guerrero was a bull. Is that racist? I love watching these old shows, by the way, just as a barometer of where the business was at that point. This building, wherever it is, doesn't even have a balcony. There's no upper level of seating. Today, you would never, ever see an episode of Raw held in arena with only one level of seating. I'm so used to it at this point that when I went to the NXT live show in Boston last year, I thought my tickets were in the front section of the balcony, not even thinking that the show would be in a venue that didn't have a balcony at all. An unsurprisingly good match ends after Eddie counters a superplex and hits Brian with a frog splash. I don't know if it was just a slower work rate than compared to his matches with Benoit, but something, I don't know, something felt slightly off about this match. It was a good match, don't get me wrong, it just didn't have that pop that we've seen from Eddie in the past few weeks. Uh, during the replays, I noticed that Eddie's theme song kind of sounds like an instrumental version of Bad Street USA, but it it may just be that one guitar riff. This week on Saturday Night, Lex Luger! Hugh Morris, VK Wall Street, Disco Inferno, this Saturday. When we come back, we're given an uncomfortably long tracking shot of the crowd while Bischoff sets up the video package we're about to see about Macho Man's arm injury. The video package itself is just a replay of the aftermath of Savage vs. Meng from last week. That's it. Just a replay. Two minutes of setup for a less than two minute clip. Your next match is Big Bubba versus Road Warrior Hawk. Hooray. During Hawk's entrance, Bischoff plays devil's advocate, quote-unquote, by suggesting that maybe, just maybe, someone from the WWF will be making a surprise appearance in the World War III Battle Royal. Given how non-committal he's being, I'm going to say that's not actually going to happen. He's just trying to sell pay-per-views. Now, this match ends with one of the dumbest things I have ever seen. Big Bubba takes what looks like a roll of quarters out of his pocket, a spot that was spoiled at the beginning of the match when this object fell out of his pocket and the camera caught him putting it back, something the announcers were quick to jump on. He also removes a roll of tape and tapes this object into his fist. First off, explain me the logic in that. I'm about to hit my opponent with a foreign object, something that might get me disqualified, so I'd better make sure I can't dispose of the object so it's more likely that the referee catches me. Bubba then goes to bounce off the ropes to hit Hawk with this now object-taped fist, but Hacksaw Jim Duggan, who has appeared from literally nowhere, 
grabs Bubba's ankle, causing him to fall to the mat, crack himself in the forehead with this foreign fist, and get pinned for a three by Hawk. Mongo then reminds us of something that had never been mentioned on Nitro up to this point, that apparently Hacksaw and Bubba have a taped fist match, whatever the fuck that is, at an unannounced point in the future, presumably World War III. Before we go to commercial, Bischoff tells us we are, quote, seconds away from Hogan versus Sting, which, while technically true, is not the best way to describe it, given that, as mentioned, we take a commercial break. We come back from break for Sting's entrance, during which he gets startled by his own pyro. Sting is wearing red and yellow, which Heenan calls a slap in the face to Hulk Hogan. We then take another commercial break. So, seconds away is two commercial breaks and two entrances away. Also of note, the time traveler in the crowd with the sign that says Sting is the big dog. Don't tell Roman Reigns. The World War III ad during that break reminds me that this is actually the go-home show for World War III, meaning that next week will be our big World War III Nitro episode, and I can officially announce that my guest for that episode will be the one, the only, the Lord of Quest End himself, Andy will be joining me to break down the biggest battle royal in professional wrestling history. Anyway, back to Nitro. We come back from that break to Hogan's theme song. Macho Man appears, arm in a sling, and he motions for Hogan to come out. He then does the arm raise finger swirl and waves for Hogan to come out. And then arm raise finger swirl and then waves for Hogan to come out. And then arm raise finger swirl. Look at the ring to see if Hogan remembered his cue. Wave for Hogan to come out. I swear to God, that's exactly as many times as it actually took. Of course, in the ring, Hogan comes through the crowd wearing the Phantom of the Opera mask, but sadly not the cloak. He gets in the ring and attacks. No, wait, he just taps Sting on the shoulder so Sting can turn around and look surprised. Huh. Hogan then throws the mask into the crowd and the match starts normally. Why? Why even sneak through the crowd? Hogan, still in black, is wearing trunks that say Giant Killer down the leg, meaning that he's absolutely delusional, because if you'll remember, he lost at Halloween Havoc. That'd be like Seth Rollins coming out with the Kingslayer shirt after losing to Hunter at WrestleMania. Uh, Hogan completely whiffs some move off an Irish whip and then rakes the back of Sting, a move which would, again, as I mentioned during Halloween Havoc, be a lot more effective if he wasn't wearing gloves. Hogan has apparently made the decision, at least for now, not to grow back the mustache, which looks really, really weird. Uh, by the way, is Sting even still the United States champion? I haven't heard word one or even seen the belt in weeks. Anyway, Hogan eventually gets put in the Scorpion Deathlock, which he hulks out of. Typical Hogan bullshit leads to Sting avoiding the leg drop and putting Hogan back in the Deathlock, which is eventually broken up by the Dungeon of Doom, which now apparently also includes Hugh Morris. Sting and Hogan attempt to fight the dungeon off and get everyone out of the ring by the time Jimmy Hart arrives with the giant. Savage prevents a double choke slam by hitting giant with a chair. Guess that shoulder's all right after all. And then eats a choke slam himself while Hogan and Sting do absolutely nothing to save him. Friends, we go to break with the giant yelling and trying to get back in the ring. We come back from break to chaos at commentary 
as Kevin Sullivan and Jimmy Hart are yelling and screaming and Bischoff is screaming that they need to get the hell out of there. Heenan's headset gets broken at some point. Bischoff reminds us exactly what just happened at the end of that last match, apologizes for the overrun, and sends us packing off the air. This was not a spectacular episode. Uh, as I said, I completely forgot that it was the go-home for the pay-per-view until the very end, and nothing here felt like a pay-per-view build show. Hell, for Halloween Havoc, we had the damn Yeti there the whole goddamn time, that styrofoam iceberg. I guess if you have to watch one thing here tonight, go back and watch the Guerrero and Pillman match. Uh, nothing else on this show was even close to being above mediocre. Sting versus Hogan was all right, I guess. Just a typical Hogan match where he gets beaten up, hulks up, then a non-finish, so no one takes the loss going into the Battle Royal. There's really nothing special here. Cagematch.net agrees with me, as fans here uh, have given this show, uh, fans there, rather, on the website, have given the show an average rating of 5.38 out of 10. The TV ratings for this episode of Nitro came in at a 2.5. Now, over on Raw, which was finally broadcast live again from Richmond, Virginia, the show did slightly better, netting a 5.5 average rating out of 10 on Cage Match, but only scoring a 2.3 in the TV ratings. That show included the 1-2-3 Kid defeating Hakushi, Savio Vega and Skip fighting to a no contest, and Owen Hart and Shawn Michaels fighting to a no contest. So 33% of the matches on that episode of Raw ended with a decisive finish. Well done. I'm actually surprised that the Raw, that episode of Raw scored lower, given that it was the Fallout episode from the 1995 Survivor Series. So I guess the promise of Hogan versus Sting was just too great to be overcome, I suppose. Uh, elsewhere in the world, American editor, novelist, and critic Robbie Mayhew McCauley died. I read his Wikipedia page and didn't recognize any of his work. Uh, also, 19 years later, another Robbie was born, but that's a different show. And that does it for this episode, episode number 13 of the Nitromania podcast. As always, please send feedback to rundownwrestling at gmail.com or send me a tweet at rundownpodcast on Twitter. Check out the first episode of WrestleMania Salvation over on the Rundown feed, along with the return of NXT Revisited, of course, the Rundown itself, and on Friday, the brand new Glow Stick, uh, episode one just came out this week. Check that out as well. If you want to see me live and in person, come on out to Elkmania 5 this Saturday, September 23rd, at the Beverly Salem Elks Lodge in Beverly, Massachusetts, or next Saturday, September 30th, come check out APW Overload at the Boys and Girls Club in Salisbury, Mass. And of course, come on back next week, join me and Andy for our supersized World War III episode of Nitromania. Pedro loves tuning Japanese. What say you, my friend, Menchi? And I guess I'm here, too. If you're looking for wacky reviews of anime, check out Tuning Japanese. A podcast for three dudes in their 30s talk about anime. Only on the Questionable Endeavor Network. Do they drink, too? Ah, a little bit. I do.